Here's another inspiring speech recorded at Communities in Control, Australia's biggest and best annual community sector gathering. Sorry, I was a little bit late actually this morning. I, we got delayed and then we circled Canberra for three quarters of an hour, which I suppose, being a futurist, I should have seen coming, but, you know, I didn't. Um, uh, see this, this thing. I'm terrible with technology, by the way. You'd kind of think that wouldn't be the case, but I'm absolutely diabolical with it. Um, now, before we start, I think I ought to explain myself a little. Um, I wrote a book a couple of years ago called Future Files, A History of the Next 50 Years, um, which, amongst other things, predicted that the global economy was going to collapse due to the level of debt and the network nature of risk. And um, ever since of this, I've kind of been labelled as a futurist. Now, to begin with, this sort of term made me squirm. Um, and it's actually not even correct. It's actually futurologist, because um, my mum, who used to be an art teacher, points out that futurists are actually a school of Italian painters from the 1930s. But <laughs> never mind. My dad used to be a scientist, and he just sort of gives me one of those sort of stares, thinking that I should get a proper job, I guess. Um, now, I'd sort of predict that there's a couple of things you're wondering. The first one is probably what on earth does a futurist do? And brackets, why don't you get a proper job? Um, and the second one is whether it's even remotely possible to predict the future. Well, to answer the first question, I think about the future. That's my job. That's all I do, pretty much, day in, day out. Um, I'm not always thinking 20, 30 years out. In fact, most of the time I'm thinking one, two, five, occasionally 10 years ahead. Currently working on a project looking at the future of public libraries 30 years ahead, and that's actually fairly unusual. Um, there's no great skill to it. You don't need a degree in it, although you can get one if you really want one. Um, it's just really having the time, um, reading a lot, talking to a lot of people, traveling as much as you can, and, and particularly trying to sort of see patterns and see connections. Um, the second question, can you predict the future? Absolutely not. No, you can't. You know, as it was said earlier on, you know, I'm a futurist, not a psychic. Um, you can make vague predictions that inevitably come right because they're so vague that if you just hang on long enough, they come true. But the, the, if you, the minute you start getting specific, it, it goes horribly wrong and it's, it's practically impossible. Having said that, I think it is possible to see the broad outline of the future. It's, I mean, I like to think of trends, for example, um, as waves. You can see the really big ones from a long way off. They quite often come in sets. And one of the things about waves and trends is that the very big ones tend to produce um, uh, you know, rips, or they produce um, undercurrents going off in a completely different direction. So if you take globalization as a major, major trend, one of the very biggest trends, it's spawning localization. Um, and that happens quite a lot with trends, I think. Um, there's also um, a great quote that's in the book, which is from a, another writer, a much better writer, William Gibson, that the future is already here. It's just unevenly distributed. And I think there's something in that. Um, trends, and, I, and I'd say change, start with a single individual or a single event. It's never government. It's never large groups. It's a single person, a single event. And it happens generally on the edge of things, and it moves inward. So it's a bit like throwing a stone into a pond and the ripples going out, except it's happening in the opposite direction. It starts on, on the fringe, on the edge, and it moves slowly into the mainstream, or, or these days maybe not so slowly. Um, what else was I going to say about this? Um, if you, for example, want to look at what people in Melbourne will be doing with mobile phones, what's a 14-year-old going to be doing with a mobile phone in five years' time? You can get a reasonable view of that by going to somewhere like Seoul or Tokyo right now, because they're sort of out on the edge, if you like, in, in terms of what's going on there. And there you will find um, people reading 80,000-word novels on mobile phones on the way to work. You will find people writing 80,000-word novels on mobile phone keypads. 
you allegedly, you will see eight-year-olds pointing to things with their thumbs. Um, now, <laughs> it's over there. Um, now, some of that, in fact, a lot of that is, is very specific to those countries. It's to do with their history and their culture. And if, in the case of Japan, for example, people travel very long distances to work. They have incredibly fast wireless connections. And culturally, they're very fond of, of manga comics, which have a cell phone format, which is a cell-sized format, basically the same size as a, as a mobile phone screen. So, you know, that might not necessarily all happen here, but it's possible. Um, obviously, the tricky bit is saying when rather than, rather than what. Um, now, let's do some pictures. Um, I like pictures. Um, I like messing around with colors and shapes and all the rest of it. Every year I, I do a trend map. These, by the way, if you Google trend map, you'll find this in a flash. Um, I give virtually everything away. So this is this year's one. Um, last year's looked like the Shanghai subway. The year before that looked like London Underground. This looks like um, an octopus. Um, and the general idea is that you know, the really big trends are in the middle. So we've got global connectivity, which is spawning anxiety. Um, and volatility. We've got debt, aging, power shift eastward, uncertainty, sustainability, digitalization, climate change. And then we've got things like technology flying off down here. We've, we've got the home, so we've got things like debt stress, affordable luxuries, single person households, extended financial families, renting things, unplugging, um, gated communities, things like that flying off there. Um, We've also got the environment, we've got politics, business. They're always somewhat different. Now, this thing, I've been doing a lot of work in risk management, which sounds terribly boring, but I think it's fabulous. Um, you know, what could happen that could make things go horribly wrong? So this year, I put these little sort of ghoulie people here um, for possible risks. Um, major internet failure, electricity shortages. Um, this was, by the way, done the um, December 2008. Up here, you will see influenza pandemic. Now. <laughs> We don't have an influenza pandemic. If we did, I wouldn't be here. I'd still be in Sydney. Now, what we've got is an anxiety pandemic. <laughs> and it's because of this global connectivity and global media, and up to a point, politicians and the precautionary principle. Now, I'm not saying that won't happen. You know, that could mutate tomorrow and turn into something incredibly nasty. But at the moment, it's just another example of how we quite like to invent things to be worried about. For example, you know, the key concern at the moment is the economy, which means that the environment has been pushed to one side. As soon as the economy is fixed, we're going to start worrying about the economy, uh, the environment again. Um, so, you know, if you're interested in that, Google it and, you know, it's not terribly serious. I mean, down here, we've, you know, we've got a couple of things here. People take these things so seriously. So up here, we've got the global risk people taking trend maps too seriously. And... Um, <laughs> We've also got down here Nicole Kidman winning another Oscar, <laughs> which you know, clearly is not going to happen, but anyway. Um, now, um, Woody Allen once said about the future that it's very much like the present, only longer. And I've got about 30 minutes, because I want to save a, as much time as possible for questions. Um, so for the sake of brevity, I've boiled things down to four more maps, I suppose, or four more bits of a map. Now. One of the sort of, pretty much the only serious thing I do actually is scenario planning, which is a way of looking at the future. Um, and I suppose the premise of scenario planning is that if you accept that the future is uncertain, logically, surely, there must be more than one future. I mean, when people talk about futures, they, a lot of people say, oh, the future's going to be like this. I would be very cynical about anybody that says, oh, the future's like this. The future is many different places, all of which could come true, all of which could be true at the same time, depending on where you are and, and who you're talking to and so on and so forth. Um, so this is um, what they call a scenario matrix in the lingo. I didn't do this by myself. I did this with um, a very good friend of mine called um, Oliver Freeman at Neville Freeman Agency and another good friend of mine, Wade Bull, at Principles, both in Sydney. Now, 
if you go back to the previous map, actually, um, I mean, that's kind of interesting. And the size of the circle is supposed to be denote how important things are. But you, kind of re you can't really see how the world's going to end up. And you, you know, there's no narrative, effectively. This thing has a bit of a narrative. Now, what's going on here? You have a very simple axis. You have pessimism against op op optimism. And I'm talking about fundamentally two things, the economy and the environment. That's what's driving the pessimism or the optimism. Um, and then you have social activism or social passivism down here, getting involved, not giving a monkeys. And you could actually have we up there and me down here. And we have four worlds. The first world I want to talk about is, is down bottom right, which is Moorism. Now, this, in fact, I just saw an ad for this in um, Melbourne Airport. There was something that, um, what did it say? It was, um, do you want to spend five minutes stretching your legs or five minutes stretching your targets? I don't know who it was for. I was running very fast, trying not to be late. But um, that's a very sort of Moorish sentiment. It's all about growth. It's the thought that enough is never quite enough. Um, it's rampant consumerism, it's self-indulgence, and to basically, I just want to get as much as I can out of life and to hell with everybody else and the consequences. Um, so you're either in complete denial about things or you just don't really care. Um, it's hedonistic, it's narcissistic, it's libertarian, it's highly materialistic, it's very disposable, it's vain, it's vacuous, it's Dubai. Now, <laughs> it's also, I mean, it's also um, things like, um, do you, if you get the Australian, they have this thing with it called Wish Magazine, which is kind of here. And there's an even better one, which Financial Times, every, every month, the weekend thing, has a magazine, which, if you've never seen this, this really exists. It's called How to Spend It. I mean, you know, it's just extraordinary. It's the Crown Casino. Um, it's Las Vegas. If, if you were being really unkind, you might say Briz Vegas, which is unkind and untrue. But, you know, it's that sort of thing. Um, it's also a woman called Joyce Vincent. At the opening page of my book, which I wrote, say, two and a bit years ago, two and a half years ago, I was talking about this woman called Joyce Vincent. She was 40 years old, and she was watching the TV one day in her flat with the heating on, and she died. And nobody found her for two years, and she had the TV on and the heating on. She had neighbours on both sides. And this is one of the sort of extraordinary consequences of the fact that the more globalised and connected we get, the more isolated you can get. I mean, I don't know what the hell were her neighbours doing. I mean, presumably they were twittering each other or talking about something or other, but, you know, nobody found her for a, for a very, very long time. And that's a very sort of Morris world. And I think that's roughly where we've been for 10, maybe 15 years. Um, and companies love Morrison, by the way. So do banks. It's all about acquiring more stuff, getting more loans, getting bigger debt, getting a bigger house, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's kind of, you know, if it was a shopping bag, I've recycled these slides from somewhere else in the spirit of the conference. Um, so it's, you know, it's all about, <laughs> it's bling. You know, it's in, in it, it, well, I, I've said all that. You know what it's about. It's the David Jones Black Amex card. It's all of that kind of stuff. Um, just going back to the Matrix. Now, Smart Planet, which is top right, um, Shopping trolley would look a bit like that. Um, this is quite an optimistic world, I guess, where, where people think that science and technology will solve virtually every single problem we've got. Um, interestingly, this IBM is now using the, world's, the word smarter planet or something, which is quite interesting. And it is very much a companies like this, this world as well. It's very sort of Apple and Nokia and Siemens and IBM and anything online and Wired magazine. And the Toyota Prius is, is in this world and so on and so forth. Um, People are fully aware of economic issues, particularly sustainability issues, but they're using technology to solve those problems. You're still living with very sort of unregulated free market forces. Um, 
it's you know robotics, it's internet, it's nanotechnology, it's biotechnology. It's a world, interestingly, in, in relation to communities. I think this is a world where communities exist primarily on, online. I mean, communities have shifted. They used to be physical spaces, and they still are to some extent. You know, it was the village, it was the street, it was the town, etc. It, it is now tr still true, but it is also now somebody with a shared interest, and the physical location is becoming less important. But I, I see a problem with this. I think when communities primarily exist online, the communities are quite narrow. They are quite superficial, and they're actually ultimately quite unfulfilling. And most people haven't twigged this yet. I think we're beginning to see it. I mean, people are beginning to realize it's not about how many friends you've got online. It's the quality of those friends. It's not about numbers. It's about quality. And there are books beginning to be written about this sort of, this sort of thing. Um, I mean, books like How to Be Free by Tom Hodgkinson, which is all about living a simpler life. There's a very good book called Enough by John Nash. There's a book I, I saw last week called The Power of Less by Leo Babutia, I think is his name. This, very much in this area of actually sort of relocalizing the importance of the physical the importance of quality in relationships and, and so on and so forth. Um, so uh, BP Beyond Petroleum is, is a sort of classic example. The CSIRO is kind of in this world a bit as well, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I now want to sort of take a little sort of trip to Personal Fortress, which is down the bottom left-hand side. So this is, this is sort of deeply pessimistic, and people just think, you know, the world's you know, absolutely screwed, coming to an end probably. There's nothing I or anyone else can do about it, so I'm just going to go to the IGA, buy lots of baked beans, and move to Hobart or something like that. Um, <laughs> Now, what has happened, I think, in this world is that certain events have combined to create a, a country or a community that is incredibly scared and frightened. So climate change is you know, worse than we expected. The economy is a mess. There's polarization of wealth, so there's, there's tremendous social unrest. So people are effectively turning their back on the outside world, and everything is, is, is localizing. Now, this is a world of tight protection, economic protectionism, very tight regulation, quite parochial. Um, it's kind of at the extreme, and you've got to bear in mind that these have moderate sides to it and extreme sides. And the further you go out there, the more extreme it gets. On the extreme end, you have oil at 300 a barrel and Mad Max 3 is going on. Um, as a sort of more over this side, it's actually not too bad. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a world where people actually look after each other. It's not the Joyce Vincent world. But the trouble is, particularly at the extreme end, it can tip over into something incredibly nasty. It, it can tip into nationalism, xenophobia, racism. People blame technology and immigration in particular for causing all of the problems. Um, and just, it's, it's everything sort of closing things down. I mean, if you had that influenza pandemic being absolutely true, and say instead of 1,700 people or whatever it is dying, it was 170 million, that comes true in a flash. Um, and we could tip over into that world in incredibly quickly. Um, so that's kind of, you know, it's all about, I mean, Dick Smith is a, is a great brand on the one sense, but it, it can be seen as quite sort of protectionist and, and nationalistic. Um, you know, in this world, he'd probably set up the Dick Smith Diggers Bank, and everything would be localized. And that's a great thing on, on one level. Um, but I think it can be quite insular, and it's all about growing your own. And yeah, you know, say so there's some really good sides to this, but some really bad sides as well. Um, the final world, which is um, my favourite world, um, which is enoughism, um, top left. So relative amount of pessimism. Although again, the, you've got to bear in mind that over here people are actually relatively optimistic, but it gets worse over here. But Generally speaking, you know, it's relatively pessimistic. The economy's not brilliant. The, the environment's not brilliant, and so on. It's kind of an anti-materialist 
view of the world. It's, people are alarmed about the state of the planet and the economy and you know, social equality and all of that kind of stuff, and they've decided to try and do something about it. So it's very much a world where people have had enough, and it's also a world where a lot of people have got enough. They think, I don't need a bigger house. I don't need three televisions and all of that kind of stuff. It's very community-driven. It's very ethically focused. Um, it's about buying less stuff and looking after it, fixing things, mending things, swapping things. It's about switching things off. This is very fair trade, very earth hour. It's about trying to get a balance. It's about saying, you know what, I'm going to turn the BlackBerry off when I go on holiday, or I'm going to leave the office at 5.30. Very connected to downshifting, sea change, tree change, all of that kind of stuff. Family life is rediscovered and extended, whereas in, for example, Moorism, it's completely fragmented. Um, resource shortages will be quite extreme in some cases in this world. So that's going to localize, I think, manufacturing and consumption. It'll be back to where it was sort of 50 years ago. People are working more locally because they're seeking that balance. Um, transport has become much more of a group activity. It's not about sort of individually necessarily owning a car. You'd be sharing one, you'd be renting one, you'd be using public transport and, and so on. Um, you know, Melbourne is actually beginning to look a bit like Copenhagen or Amsterdam. There's a lot of people cycling, there's a lot of people walking. The speed of life is actually a little bit slower. There's, you know, people aren't throwing away mobile phones unless it's right in the extreme. They're just saying, I'm going to ration their use a little bit. I'm going to turn them off now and again. I'm going to unsubscribe from a few things. I'm going to unplug from a few things. Um, you know, in, in, if, if this, I mean, Twitter, for example, is not very big in enoughism. It's huge in Smart Planet and it's fairly big in Moorism. Um, shopping um, in an enoughist world is, you know, it's, all of a sudden it's cool to spend as little as possible. The absolute antithesis of Moorism. Um, second hand is important. Um, swaps, garage sales, all of that kind of stuff. Um, people are, purchasing is less impulsive. People think before they spend, and people get told no quite a bit. Um, it's about making your own things at home. It's about home baking, home brewing, making your own fun. It's renting rather than buying. Um, it's about swapping. You know, bar people will barter in this world. Um, okay, so I guess the really big question is, and this isn't about picking a winner. You know, all four of these are currently true in Melbourne. I mean, if you could find a house with four people in, which could be a challenge, you will probably find four people in four rooms on four screens doing four different things at 5.30 at night. And, you know, this is celebrated by the likes of Big Pond and their Big Pond homes as, as though this is some kind of positive. I actually see that as a bit of a negative, actually. I think they should all possibly do a bit more together. Um, so, you know, you know, dad might be in Smart Planet, mum's in Enoughism, the, the son's in Personal Fortress, and the, the daughter's in Moorism, or vice versa. And this could all be true equally in the future, but it's not about picking a winner. It's about trying to work out roughly where are we now, and as I say, I, I think we've, we've been here for quite a long time, and where is a broad trend are we going? And I think we're sitting right there at the moment. These bleed into each other. That's why there's a dotted line. We're sitting on the fence here trying to work out what's going to go, what's going to happen. And I think... I'm sorry to say this, but if you want a prediction, I think this, this recession is going to be short and sharp. It's over in two years. We're straight back here. I think we have no memory. Um, you know, fear is replaced by greed, and we start the entire cycle again. Now, if it's a bit longer, say it's sort of really nasty, and it's sort of three, four years of, of you know, very slow growth and all the rest of it, there is a chance we end up here. Um, although, you know, realistically, we'll get a mix. This will be blurry. If we have five to ten years of the 1970s over again, so a lot of John Farnham probably, then <laughs> we're here. We're here. And that's, I think that's a really good thing. I mean, the reality is I think it's a, it's a question of which do you mix with which. You know, we're, you know it's, we're not going to be in just one world completely. And some people 
right now are so Morist, it's unbelievable, and other people are living very much an enoughist life. The other thing about enoughism is I think that's where most individuals in Australia would quite like to be. But I think most corporates want to be in Morism, or they're probably moving towards smart planets. So there's a bit of a sort of battle there happening, potentially. Um, but I think, fundamentally, all that is wrong. It, all, that, all of what I've just said presupposes that we're at the mercy of the future. And, you know, there's people like me trying to predict what's going to happen. And I think, possibly, that's completely wrong. You know, we are not at the mercy of the future. You know, we can have the future any shape, color, and smell we want it. We can invent it, coming back to the point about where change comes from. And actually, the world would be a lot less anxious if collectively we could decide on where we want to go, and we have a shared vision, and we pursue that. I think the world would be a much better place, and we could invent the future that we actually want to live in. Now, I'd like to finish um, with a couple of things. There was a quote I bumped into accidentally online recently by um, a US economist from Stanford called Paul Romer. And he said a great thing quite recently, which I thought was fabulous, which is that a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. And I, th I think that's true. A lot of change happens when people have their backs up against the wall and people are beginning to review alternatives. And if everything all gets lovely again, you know, we'll just sort of forget and we won't change anything. So at the moment, there is a bit of an opportunity to make a lot of noise and actually to try and, and change things. Um, the second thing I'm going to end on is, is just a bit of um, rampant publicity. Um, this is my website, which is now on next.com. Please have a look. Virtually everything on there is free. There is a quarterly report on what I think is happening in the world, which is if you hit the orange square top left, you can download that. Um, completely free. If you click on that little thing that says 2009, you can download quite a big report on what I think is happening over the next 12 to 18 months. Please do not buy the book from the website. This is very expensive on the website. Go to Dimux. It's much cheaper. Thank you very much. We hope you've enjoyed this highlight from the community's In Control Library. If you did, we'd love you to rate or review this podcast in the iTunes Store and for you to share it with your friends. For further information about Communities in Control, visit communitiesincontrol.com.au.